No success in the world can compensate for failure in the home. That's why Club Wealth was founded, to help driven, successful, and busy real estate agents like you double their business while building a strong, balanced home life. Join us each week as high-producing agents and team leaders share their stories and unpack the principles and systems they've used to double, triple, and even quadruple their business while enjoying greater quality of life. And now, here's the latest episode of Club Wealth TV. Hey everybody, Michael Hellickson here with Club Wealth Coaching and Consulting. I gotta tell you, I am so excited today. I have with me my co-host, the hostess with the mostest, Sheree <laughs> Benjamin. Holy Hannah, let me just say, you guys know Sheree really well. Uh, those of you that watch the podcast or you know, either listen to the podcast or watch the live show, you guys uh, know Sheree really well. Uh, as you are aware, Sheree, in a three-year period, actually about a two-and-a-half-year period, went from being just her and uh, 35 transactions a year to over 400 transactions a year and uh, just freaking crushes it. And uh, she's got her, uh, her team in, uh, in Austin, it's in Austin, in Atlanta, Georgia. God, <laughs> come on, come me some slack. It's early in Hawaii. Come on. Uh, but uh, she's, you're she's speaking it her. into existence, Michael. That's what you're doing. What's that? You're speaking it into existence. That's what you're doing. I wasn't even thinking about Austin, but since you said it, no, now, now we got to go to Austin. All right, now nah. we got to go to Austin. <laughs> Misty will be real excited to hear that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that said, Miss uh, uh, Sheree freaking crushes it in Atlanta, and uh, it has about a forty, just over a forty-person team there, and uh, now is also uh, in Vegas, and so we're super excited about that. And uh, as you know, Sheree. Uh, and I are partners with Brian Curtis and the expansion services team. Uh, so and for those of you that don't know me, if you're watching this for the first time, so kind of my claim to fame is for, uh, you know, sold real estate for just over 26 years, was very consistently listing and selling over 100 homes per month. Uh, and at one point in time had over 750 listings in active and pending status. So Sheree and I have sold a house or two. Uh, so hopefully we'll bring you some value today. And of course, now we have our very special guest, Mr. Jack Cotton, uh, who is a specialist in the luxury market. Uh, he is in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And uh, in the last 12 months, did 22 transactions for about a million in gross commission income. So for me back in the day, for me to do a million in GCI, I don't know, I probably had to close 2,200 homes to do it. No, but, but it was a lot. It was, it was a lot. You know, we, were, uh, we had to do a lot of transactions. I think our average sales price was between 225 and 275. Eventually, uh, toward the end of my uh, stint there in Seattle, we got, uh, we got it up to just over 350. But man, I got to tell you. It uh, it's it's nice to have somebody on that's doing a lot of luxury. I'm excited to hear your thoughts, Jack, on the luxury market and what you're doing differently that uh, is leading to your success. So, welcome to Club Wealth TV. Thank you for having me. It's a real treat to be here today. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about luxury. What is it that that sets you apart? What is it that you're doing differently that's leading to your success? Well, just understanding what is luxury, what is the definition of luxury, and then living that definition and giving people what they want as they meet that definition. Luxury by very definition is rare, it's scarce, it's expensive, it seeks perfection, it has integrity, and it has a history. 
And so any product you can think of that's luxurious meets that definition. And that's what people in the high-end market are expecting. And that's what I have to live up to in, in the conduct of my business. Very interesting. Okay. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It looks like you so had That means as real estate becomes more and more generic and the public sees real estate agents as being more and more generic and as the online world tries over and over again to creep into our space and take over our space, the, um, the rush for many agents to become more generic is really self-defeating. In the high end, you cannot be seen as a generic person. You must be seen as unique and different and bringing value and adding value or else you're just not going to be successful and people are going to find you to be irrelevant. So, so what is it that makes you unique and, and, you know, and how to convey that to potential clients? Well, first of all, in the high end, the, the higher you go in price range, the more people want to deal with experts. Now, wealthy people have experts in every aspect of their lives. They have medical experts, they have financial experts, they have tax experts, they have legal experts. They want to know that their real estate agent, and by the way, I try to be seen as a trusted real estate advisor rather than a real estate agent, but they want to know that I'm an expert and there's five critical areas of expertise that they expect me to be really good in. I need to be really good at markets and value, really understand the market and the benchmarks of my market. I need to be an expert in pricing. How does the market, um, how do market forces really converge on a particular piece of property? I need to be an expert in market preparation. Some people use the word staging. I use the word market preparation. So I am a market preparation expert. Next, I have to be an expert in marketing. And lastly, most importantly, I have to be an expert in negotiation. That's where I really obsess over because, you know, while it's a big deal for me to sell a house for five or 10 or $19 million, the buyers and sellers in those transactions are typically doing transactions in hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. We have transactions sometimes where we have a billionaire on both sides of the transaction. And I always feel outgunned. So I'm obsessed with being a negotiation expert. So, but those are the five critical areas of expertise that I think are required to be successful in this segment of the market. Interesting. So tell me what those, so those pricing. What was the second one? Well, pricing is the second one. Markets and value is the first one. Pricing is the second one. What's your, I mean, what's your process for pricing? And you know, the funny thing is that I enjoy watching the, the luxury real estate shows on TV, like I'm sure lots of people do. The hard part is that some of our clients actually watch those shows and they think that that's the real thing. So we know that um, people in the high end need to know how we come up with our price. We just can't walk into a house, you know, and look around like this and say, yeah, this should be 4.5 million. The people need to really understand what's our process for coming up with the price. What's our pricing expertise for, for coming up with a suggested go-to-market price? And that's a real point of difference between ourselves and our competition. Whereas a lot of people in the high end will typically try to buy listings or just shoot numbers out of the air. We have a very quantitative um, approach to giving people a go-to-market price. And then we, you know, you go a little bit higher just to test the market to see if you, we don't want to leave any money on the table. But, you know, part of our separation or part of our um, value proposition is how we price property. So tell me, tell me, oh, go ahead, Sheree. I was just going to ask and um, about, I'm really interested in hearing about the, the marketing prep that you do when it comes down to a luxury listing. 
in getting that listing, um, the prep that, and you're correct, there is a lot that gets watched when people, um, our, our consumers think of luxury, they think of million dollar listing, pick one of the cities that they have it in. And that's what they think that that happens and they expect um, big extravagant brokers opens and open houses. Is that the same type of expectation that you're seeing that your clients are bringing to you? Or yeah, to some extent, but when we talk when we talk about market preparation, first of all, up here in the frozen Northeast, a lot of our <laughs> homes are they're run down. They're they're this, like second and third generation um, owners are selling a property because you know grandparents bought it, or parents bought it. Like I was showing one yesterday that you know it's really run down. I mean, peeling paint and it's foundation's kind of squishy and all that stuff. It's $5,450,000 and you probably have to spend another two to three million dollars to make it into a nice summer house. But how do you prepare a home like that for the market? Market preparation. You know, you're not going to stage a home like that. Look up the word staging in the dictionary. Staging means fake, contrived, manipulative, not on the level. You know, it's play. It's like a play. Market preparation is getting the home ready for the market. You know, it's also staging is what everybody else does. And if I'm going to differentiate myself from everyone else, I can't be hiring a stager. I need to be the market preparation expert myself. I don't know of a single stager who's ever walked through a home with a buyer and seen what makes the buyer's eyes light up as they go through the house. I've never known a single stager to walk through a home, sorry, and notice what, what makes the buyer's eyes glaze over. So I wrote this little booklet thing that I give to my sellers and it's called A Tale of Two Houses. And it talks about two homes that came on the market at the same time, one sold in a month and one sold in 13 months. What's the difference? Well, one was prepared for the market and it was easier for a buyer to fall in love with that house. It wasn't staged, it wasn't fake, it wasn't manipulative. It was based on my experience, my 45 years in the business of noticing what makes the eyes of a buyer light up when they go through a house. And then we create a checklist with 52 pages around that. And part of my value proposition is that I believe that if you follow the directions of my checklist, you are gonna get two to four points of additional sales price on just that one USB. So, okay, so, and, and is that, by the way, is that checklist something you're willing to share? I would share a, how to create a checklist. I don't share my actual checklist, but I would, I have gotcha. a PDF on how to create a checklist with examples and screenshots from it if somebody wants it. Perfect. Okay. So hopefully what, what we'll do is we'll talk to uh, the team. We'll get them to uh, add that download uh, on our website there so that uh, that's available for folks. But I'm curious. Um, so that really I want to dive a little bit deeper on the difference between staging a home and the market preparation. And the reason I'm asking this is because, it, I mean, isn't it kind of just semantics? It kind of sounds like just semantics of, you know, well, it's it fake, put a flower on the, on the coffee table or it's, you know, what, what is it? What's the fake part? What's the, what's the, the. Well, because a lot of times, you know, stagers, I think a lot of times are staging for each other. It's kind of like that Van Morrison song where, you know, people are all dressed up for each other. Whereas I'm preparing the home for the, the profile of the perfect buyer for this home. And for example, I remember we had a house for sale several years ago. It was a spec house. I think it was like 2.9. And um, the owner was a, the builder was the, the spec builder. And she was also a stager and had and then brought in another stager. And we finally sold the house. But the difficulty we had 
with a buyer was that it looked like they were trying so hard. The buyer is like, what? Why are they trying so hard? Are they trying to hide something here? What's going on with this house? Why are they burning birch logs in the fireplace? Why is there apple pie baking in the oven? Why is there, nobody lives like this. What's, what's going on here? It's a distraction to having someone actually fall in love with the house. And by the way, if I'm competing with you for a listing and you hire a stager, well, then I'm going to get a better stager. And then you've got to hire Martha Stewart and there goes your commission. So basically, I may bring a stager in who works under me, but the second I bring in a stager, I risk losing control. And when I'm dealing in the high end, I give the appearance of not really delegating all that much. I'm the air traffic controller who oversees everything that takes place in that house. I am the market preparation expert. If I feel that a stager is necessary to, for example, deck out one particular room, well, that staging occurs under my direction, under the heading of market preparation. And you're right, it's semantics, but guess what? Words matter especially in high-end real estate. Interesting. Okay. All right. So let's go back to, uh, for a moment, let's go back to the markets. Uh, AC said markets and value and pricing and how those are two different things. Talk to us about that. Well, markets and value is sort of the macroeconomic aspect of the, your particular marketplace. What are things selling for per square foot? What if, if you're on the waterfront, what are things selling for per front foot? What are things selling for as a percentage of their property tax assessment, which is a great benchmark in every state except for California and Florida? You know, what if, what's the list of sales price ratio? What, what's going on in your marketplace? Who are the prevalent architects? Who's, who's living there? I know that in my marketplace, 85% of the buyers over a million dollars are typically from the financial services industry coming from inside the 495 belt as it wraps westward around the city of Boston. You know, that's called mapping your market, really understanding your market. And it does two things. Number one, it tells you, it gives you that base of knowledge that people in the high end are expecting from you, but it also gives you something you can actually provide as a service to gatekeepers of the wealthy people in your marketplace that will help you get more business, more listings, and potentially more sales as well. That becomes a marketable um, area of expertise that you can provide to gatekeepers in your luxury market. Hmm. Okay. And so I'm, I'm curious as to how you are maximizing that knowledge. So, you know, that they come from that belt, you know, around Boston there. How are you, you know, how are you using that to your advantage? Are you using it to market to those people? If so, how are you <clears throat> those people, that kind of thing? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe one time out of a hundred, you go to a listing presentation and the buyer or the seller will say to you, well, who's going to buy my house? And the agent will say, I don't know, because we'll find out. I mean, I don't know. We, whereas we, when we go on a listing presentation, before we even get into our marketing plan, we say, if they don't ask us that question, which they hardly ever do anymore. We will say, would you like to know who's going to buy your house? And they'll say, yeah, who's going to buy my house? Well, it's going to be a couple in their upper 50s, early 60s. They're going to live inside the 495 belt of Boston. The kids are going to be just leaving high school or in college. They've worked really, really hard to get to the point where they can afford a house like yours. And in the course of doing that, they have missed some important family events, recitals, concerts, family dinners and gatherings. And your house is going to be the magnet that pulls that family back together. Your house is going to be the thing that makes everything okay and it's going to be, draw that family closer together again. And, you know, sometimes when we tell that story, I'm going, to go, going kind of fast now because our time is short, but you want to tell that story in a compelling way. Sometimes when it's the second or third generation seller, we'll paint such a great picture that 
our goal is we want tears in the seller's eyes. We want them to be overcome with emotion where they, they start to cry. We want those tears gone so that when we get to pricing, we know they're really going to cry. The tears are all gone. But anyway, um, it's all part of what makes us different. We tell a story about who's going to buy that house. Then we can talk about now that we know who the buyer is, here's our marketing plan and here's how we're going to find that buyer. It's really all part of how we differentiate ourselves in the marketplace because everyone else comes in and talks about, well, it's like fishing, you know, we're going to like just start casting lines out in the middle of the ocean of buyers and hope that one of them bites. Whereas we go and say, well, we know the high end people are at the shoal over here. They like where the, where the water depth changes and it creates a little swirl in the current and they all gather around to collect the bait fish. And so we're going to cast our line over there because we know that's where the really big fish are. It's the same analogy. Do you do that in Atlanta there, Cherie? Are you like... <laughs> you have to talk about the river. Now, I know that the person that buys this house is going to come from the, you know, Duluth. And they're... Well, no, but we don't do that, but we do have to go through. So it's a little bit different because of the market differences, but we do sure. have to go through what the expectation of what that buyer is. So we do right. something similar based upon your price point. Like normally you are, you have, we probably have a 90 percent chance that this buyer is going to come from FHA. This is what the limits are. This is what this right. means. This is what they're going to ask you for. This is the expectation, you know, as to what that price looks, um, how the offer is probably going to come over. We, we go through those things um, with them. Something similar. And then you we can develop a, yeah, you can develop a buyer profile story for any market and it makes your marketing plan more relevant because otherwise you're just giving, you're presenting here's our marketing plan. We're going to cast it out into the universe and see what happens. Whereas here's our marketing plan is geared towards who we feel there's an 85 or 90% chance of who your buyer is going to be. Well, that's a good segue into the marketing plan. Let's talk about the marketing plan. What do you do to get, you know, well, first of all, what's your average listing? Like how many, you know, how many listings do you have now and what's the average price? Our average listing, well, right now we're light. Um, but our average listing right now probably is around $4 million. Okay. So how and, do you market um, a $4 million home? Well, interestingly enough, and this is a big secret here, but um, the, higher, <laughs> the higher you go in price, the more likely that the buyer is hiding in plain sight. So what I mean by that is that I don't care if you're in Atlanta or Las Vegas or Cape Cod, it is very rare for a luxury buyer to parachute into a location and just buy a house. Most of the time, they have a connection, friend, relative, or associate of, some, of someone who's already there. So we can do all kinds of stuff in <clears throat> marketing internationally and nationally and regionally and locally. But I could show you, I have a slide that I use in one of my talks where, you know, I have a, a two mile segment of my market and I've got a $19 million sale, a $10 million sale, five, six, and I show you where the buyers came from in that particular one year segment of, of a two mile segment of the market. And the, and the farthest away that a buyer came was 38 miles. Most of them came from a half a mile, three quarters of a mile, a mile and a half. And that's, so the, the marketing we do, the international marketing, the national marketing, it, it could generate a buyer, but what it really does, it puts the local buyer, um, the local affiliated buyer under a greater sense of competition and a feeling and a sense of urgency because people in the high end really need that in order to act time and time again, we'll have a house for sale. And, um, 
a buyer will look at it. Typically, the next door neighbor is our first, that's the first person we go to. And they'll say, yeah, that's nice. It's all right, but it needs too much work. It's too much this. I hate this. I hate, I don't, whatever. Fun to see it, but good luck with it. But then the second we have an offer on it, they swoop in and buy it. So we sell a lot of our listings to the neighbors. You know, they buy it. Um, you know, this one guy here, he spent in a year, probably $30 million buying up his neighbors and tearing them down because he didn't want any neighbors. That's an unusual situation. Typically, is, you know, that's a one-off. But typically, you know, a buyer will buy a neighboring house for family or just for privacy or they can't stand the person or whatever the case may be. So that's, they're hiding in plain sight. Now, maybe in Atlanta or California or Hawaii, wherever, it's not always a neighbor, but it's typically someone who has a connection to the area. Again, wealthy people like to be around people who have similar goals, similar aspirations, similar levels of achievement and accomplishment. And that means they know someone who's already there. So the best marketing is to people who are already there. Long answer, sorry. Okay. So, so what do these people do for fun? I mean, are they just all out on their, you know, multi-million dollar sailboat yachts, you know, oh, just a funny question. On? Yeah. You know what a lot of them do for fun? They grind realtors for fun. That's their sport. Their sport is grinding realtors for everything. So um, That's yeah, awesome. a lot of them have fun in my market here. They're golfers, they're boaters. Um, but a lot of them are just business people who just have, I mean, we had one guy, he's, he's not really around much anymore. He's gotten too old, but he would just, he just loved the hunt. He loved the chase and he loved buying the house. Then he would sit there in the summer wearing black pants and a white shirt and a black jacket in the 80 degree sun. Like, what do I do now? So then he puts it on the market and buys something else. If they just, they don't know what to do with themselves unless they're working. It's really something else, but they all like to grind us. It's, that's their common thread. Um, so that's why we have to have value. We cannot be seen as toll takers on the Get Your Home Sold Highway. We have to bring value, add value, and differentiate ourselves in a valuable way. And that brings us back to where we began our conversation. That's why market preparation expertise is so critically important because that's one of the biggest values I bring to the table. Interesting. All right. Good stuff. Uh, okay. So, and Sheree, I don't mean to be dominating the questions here, so feel free to jump in anytime, but uh, talk to us about negotiations. So you talked about uh, the importance of negotiation. Tell us, uh, you know, how, what differentiates you in terms of negotiation? Well, like I said, it's been somewhat of an obsession because I always feel outgunned. I didn't, I wasn't born rich and well-connected. I didn't hang around with rich people. I went to the golf course, but I was a caddy. So um, I've always been a little bit intimidated. So I've really had to work hard to level the playing field between myself and the people who I deal with, who until recently, until were way older than me and way richer than me. I mean, I've been doing this for, it'll be 45 years for me this May. So when I started out, you know, as 21 years old, everyone was, was way older than me. Now they're all younger than me, which I don't know when, I'm not sure when that exactly happened, but all of a sudden they woke up and noticed that hey, they're not older than me anymore. They're all younger than me. But anyway, yeah, so negotiation is um, very, very important. I have three critical rules of negotiation that I like to follow. Number one is to build standing. Standing. Another word for standing is preeminence. So you want to build your preeminence in the marketplace. And you do that through your personal promotion, <clears throat> through your writing, through you know, speaking. You can speak locally in your market about the market. The best... Um, 
you know, the best, for example, the best way to meet gatekeepers in your market is to speak at a rotary club. Gatekeepers for wealthy people tend to be accountants, lawyers, CPAs, financial planners, and they all belong to rotary clubs. So if you can talk about <clears throat> your, your market expertise, your market preparation expertise, your pricing expertise to, for example, a rotary club, you are talking to gatekeepers. And I'll get back to why that's important in a second. But building your standing in the marketplace is critically important. Number two is um, never assuming. There's a great book on negotiation called Getting to Yes. And uh, I love that book. It's my Bible for negotiation. And I loved it so much that I took a class with the author who has since passed away. He teaches negotiation at Harvard Law School. He actually negotiated the nuclear arms treaty that we just pulled away from with the Soviet Union. He was the the United States, um, the chief negotiator for our side for the nuclear arms treaty. He was a really great negotiator. He wrote the book, Getting to Yes, Dr. Roger Fisher. And so I took a class with him at Harvard for one summer and I volunteered because uh, I was the first person to raise my hand. I negotiated with him one-on-one -on -one in front of 200 lawyers from around the world for a week to get an autographed copy, first edition copy of his book. And during the course of that, aside from making a complete and abject utter fool of myself in front of all these people for a week, I learned that we assume way too much. If I make one mistake over and over again, I try to make it less and less, but it's I assume I know what the other person wants. I assume they would want what I would want in a similar situation. And nothing can be further from the truth. Wealthy people are different than we are. And they have different, you know, we have people who are willing to sell their house for a million dollars less if the buyer's not going to tear it down, for example, we would assume, I would assume they'd want the highest price. I would want the highest price, but they don't, money's not always the most important thing to them. So number one, build standing. Number two, don't assume, find out what they want. Ask them what they want. Don't assume what they want. And the third rule is the most important rule is actually a great rule for life. And that is detached from the outcome. And if you want a magic bullet for dealing with billionaires, it's being perceived as being willing to walk away not needing the deal. Want, wanting the deal is fine. Needing the deal is bad. So being able to walk away, and sometimes I've walked away and um, they've called my bluff and I've lost a lot of money. But um, being seen as willing to walk away, being detached from the outcome is the number one rule uh, for negotiation. And that's the rule I'm the best at. And as I get older, I get better at it because I keep forgetting what the outcome is. So it's... Um, easy to detach when you forgot what it was. You know, I think that's something that, I don't think that that matters. Th those points that you said, I don't think that that matters what price point you're in. Those are just key, solid negotiation points that are there. Um, you bring up a great point. Uh, yeah. You bring up a great point because you're right. This will work in any price range. I learned it dealing with millionaires and billionaires. But my, my whole philosophy for my whole career has been, I treat everyone like a million dollars, regardless of their price point. And you're right. You can use these techniques at any price point. The, the, year, the month I had my biggest sale ever, um, which is just north of 19 million, which is a lot for here, not a lot for other places, but it's a lot for here. I also sold a house for 147,000 that same month. And guess what? That $147,000 sale had a greater impact on the life of that seller than did the $19 million sale because it was one of you know, tons of houses that she owned. But the $147,000 seller was able to pay for end-of-life care that she otherwise would not have been able to have. And it made the end of the rest of her short life, the months she had remaining, um, better for her. It was life-changing for her.
but you, that's a great point. Thanks for bringing it up. So I want to. I so we've got a lot of people who listen to this, and I always like to once we we go through the such as what we've done with you the the markets, the value, the pricing, the market prep, the marketing, the negotiation, have our mind wrapped around luxury. And this sounds so great, but a lot of our listeners are not there and they're trying to crack into the luxury market. Right. So what are your, um, what do you think are the best tools for an agent who's looking at getting into the luxury market? Well, first of all, you're exactly right. A lot of Asians sit on the sidelines of luxury real estate in particular, thinking that they had to be more rich and well connected to break in. And there's a thing that I call the big O, the big O. And that's the big objection that paralyzes some agents. And that objection is, so Sherry, how many million dollar homes have you listed? How many million dollar homes have you sold? How many homes have you listed in Buckhead? How many homes have you sold in Indian, Indian, what's it called? Indian, Indian something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the answer is zero. And so you're, you don't know how to answer that. And so you, you don't want to go and have that appointment. And what I tell agents is that, and I learned this from doing it myself is that hit it head on. I have never sold a million dollar house before. I've never listed a home in Buckhead over a million dollars. But here's what Mr. And Mrs. Seller, I plan to break into this market and I plan to make my mark on this market on the listing and sale of your property. In fact, this can be the last thing I think about every night before I go to sleep. And the first thing I think about every morning when I wake up, I'm going to make my mark on the sale of your home. In fact, I pledge to you that I will not take another million dollar listing at all or in your neighborhood until we have an accepted offer on your house. Let me ask you this, Mr. And Mrs. Seller, how does it feel to have somebody this driven, this motivated, this, this just driven to get your property sold? So you have to understand that the people you're competing with have six or 12 luxury listings and they have a sense of entitlement that comes along with that. And they're probably not even showing the properties themselves. They're delegating it. So if you go in there with that approach, especially with a self-made person, this works less successfully with second and third generation wealthy people, but with self-made people, they will see a little bit of them in you and they will take a chance. You find you need to find that maverick in the market who's willing to take a chance on the agent who's audacious, who's driven, who's hungry, and who really wants to make it happen, and who will give them that personal one-on-one -on -one attention that they crave in all aspects of their lives. You know, the phrase, you'll always miss 100% of the shots you don't take comes to mind, yeah. right? To put it into basketball. Nothing's 100%. No, and, and you think about it, you know, it's, you, somebody's got to be the first, right? You got to, you, you got to go in there and somebody is going to be your first million dollar listing or your first $5 million listing or your first $30 million listing or whatever. And here's right. the end of the deal. You, these guys put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you and me. They're people just like you and me. This is the, the, there's nothing extraordinary about these people. Yeah, they've done some extraordinary things, but the reality is right. they're people and, they're, and you don't need to be afraid of them. And that's the thing that I've learned because I grew up very modestly, single mom and all that stuff. And so it took a while for me to figure that out. But I still, <laughs> I still have a hard time. I have still have a more of a challenge with second and third generation wealthy people because um, I'm not sure why that is, but it's much easier to connect with people who did it on their own. They, they're more, and I think anyone who's breaking in is going to have an easier time breaking with them. But when I come back to before, when you said getting started, what else could an agent do to get started in this market? 
And that is really focusing on the gatekeepers because they are your ticket to getting to the wealthy people in your marketplace. There are the one thing that people of means detest, loathe, and can't stand is taxes. And there's two kinds of taxes that really send wealthy people over the edge. Uh, number one is property taxes, but even more than that is inheritance taxes. And so what they do is if you look around your wealthy market, you'll find that most properties, depending upon the state, are owned by a trust or an LLC or a corporation, but most often it's a trust. And when you put your property in a trust, what you do is you put it in the trust, and then over the course of time, you transfer a portion of that trust to the beneficiaries where so that after a given period of time, the property is 100% owned by the beneficiaries, and then it's totally escaped inheritance taxes. So when you put your property, and I'm not a tax expert, trust me, but what I do know is that when your property is in a trust, you need a CMA every single year. So and who gets that? It's the gatekeeper, it's the CPA, the lawyer, the accountant, the trust officer at the bank. So when you're a new agent breaking into a luxury market, that's what I would do first. I would look up every accountant, every lawyer who does estate, <clears throat> estate planning, trust officers at banks, and I would say, listen, I've got two or three openings for the month of February to do complimentary CMAs for your clients who have properties and trust. And you, I know you need a, a CMA for the file. And I'd be happy to do that for your clients. I can, I can do two a month. I can do whatever the case may be. And that's how you get in the door. When they start to see your name on those CMAs year after year, um, that's how you start to build a luxury following them on the gatekeepers. And then when the need arises, you get a sale. When the property is totally transferred to the beneficiaries, they need two CMAs. They need one for the fair market value and they need one for the fair renter value. And that's even more important because what happens is the owner rents the property from the beneficiaries and they need to have the rent equal the expenses, the taxes, the insurance, and the maintenance. And they make they pick a number to, to meet that expense thing and the IRS goes ballistic. So they need something with your letterhead verifying that rent. And that's your ticket to the gatekeepers is to provide that value to them. Love it. That's great advice. That's a great way for people to get in with the luxury market. Uh, that's why yeah. I like Rotary Clubs because it's, the whole room is full of gatekeepers. Right. Yeah, no, I love that. I think it's fantastic. And it's something anybody can do, right? I mean, if yeah. you're in real estate today and you can't figure out how to do a, a, a professional CMA, well, guess what? You're probably in the wrong industry. But don't yeah. call it an appraisal. It's not an appraisal. It's a, it's a valuation letter. We call right. it a valuation letter. Sometimes an attorney, well, I just had, we were talking to an attorney the other day. If I could get a follow up with him, because um, now's the time of the year when we're doing these. And um, yeah, we don't do it. We're not appraisers. Um, but we can, you don't need to be an appraiser to do a letter for the file. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great stuff. All right, Sheree, what other questions do you have for Jack today? Thanks, Michael. Yeah, <laughs> let me just put you on the spot. Actually, while you're, while you're formulating your next question, let me just ask you this. So I want to come back to marketing real quick. We talked a little bit about marketing, but I want to go a little bit deeper. So if you could say, what are the three top things you do to market a, a luxury listing? What are they? Well, first of all, um, we have one and a half seconds to capture somebody's attention online. So, you know, if I'm differentiating myself from the other agents in my marketplace, they'll all say, well, we have a great photographer. A lot of us use the same photographer. And so I'll, I'll once again, I'll wrap it, I'll create a USP, which is I art direct the photographer, and then I'll wrap it in a story. So I'll say to the seller, you know, everyone has a great photographer. They all have great cameras. My, um, let's see. Um, Craig has a Nikon, 
you know, Lauren has a Canon and she knows what every single button, readout, dial, lens, she knows every single thing in that camera and she can make that camera sing. But you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Seller? Lauren and Craig have never sat in my conference room with a potential buyer of a multi-million dollar property like yours, looking at listings on a flat screen, watching them go by and seeing a buyer reject a photo of a house that you knew was perfect for them, but it was a dull, boring photo. It was a waterfront property with no water in the cover shot. So Mr. and Mrs. Seller, Lauren and Craig don't get to take a photograph of your house until I've looked through the lens of that camera to make sure it's going to capture somebody in the 1.5 seconds that we have to grab their attention online. People are looking for reasons to reject listings when they look at pictures online. The buyers of your house aren't here right now. They're outside of Boston or they're, or they're elsewhere in the country or around the world. They are looking online. I will art direct to make sure your cover shot is compelling. We will obsess over that. In fact, we're going to take over 600 pictures of your home to get to the 30 that we're actually going to use for marketing purposes. So that's how we create a USP. Everyone takes pictures. We make the way we do pictures unique and different and more valuable than the way other people do because we art direct. And then we wrap it in the story of how Lauren and Craig take their pictures. I love it. Oh, go ahead, Sheree. What's the second thing? I think we. I think you asked for top three. Mm -hmm. The one was in the photos. I like creating that USP around the photos. Did I miss the other two? We didn't get them yet. Um, <laughs> so we'll talk about copywriting. Same thing. What's the point of having really great photographs if you've got really bad copy? I'm amazed at some of the copy I see for luxury real estate where there's bad grammar, bad punctuation. And like it or not, people judge you by your writing. And it's a turnoff. So what's the point of capturing somebody right away with great photography when you have crummy writing? So we talk about how I think of myself as a decent writer, but I still use an editor to polish your copy, make sure it's interesting and compelling and tells a story of your property. Then we talk about <clears throat> um, showing or demonstrating your property. We just don't show your property, we demonstrate your property. And here's the thing, Mr. Mrs. Seller, I am present. 90% of the time for the showing of your property. The higher you go in price range, the less showings you're going to have. It only makes sense, right? So every showing really needs to count. Aside from you, no one's going to know your property better than you, than I do. And we demonstrate the property. That means in the summertime, if we need to, we show the property by boat. We, we make them a part of it. Or we put a boat on the property. We, we were selling a property for 13 million and the beach was across the river. And the buyer, the, the wife of the buyer was nervous about, well, I've, I've, never, I've never driven a boat. So we put a boat there and we put it behind the wheel of the boat and said, turn the key, off you go. She had a smile this big to bought the house. So demonstrating the property is critically important. We listed a nine acre island here one time for like, I think it was like $9 million. And I knew who the buyers were. I, and I knew their agent, like his, his name was also Jack, a different Jack. I said, Jack, you've got to get them over here. And they looked at it online. They, they looked at the tax maps. They looked at the Google maps. They said, oh, too many trees, too many, too desolate, too this, too that. We don't want it. They wouldn't even come look at this property yet. I knew they were the right people for the property. And then one day on 4th of July weekend, the other Jack said, hey, they found the property they want to buy. Um, would you be willing to take them out on your boat to show them the property from the water as a favor to me? I'll pay for the gas. I said, don't even worry about paying for the gas. I'll take you out there. So I took them out there. I showed them the property they wanted to buy. That I said, you know, um, the tide has changed. We have to go home a different way. And so um, we went <laughs> home a different way. And I took them to the island and I showed them the island from the water and they bought it. So 
those are great stories. We don't show property, we demonstrate the property. We immerse them in the lifestyle that comes along with the property. We do what it takes. And we had another house that the, the agent couldn't sell. Um, it had a water view and the, the neighborhood association beach was down the road. It's too far to walk. And once you put somebody in a car to go to the beach, you lost them. So we, we rented a really cool golf cart, put a surfboard on the roof, and we drove the people down to the beach in a golf cart. Big smiles the whole way they bought the house. We immerse them in the lifestyle of the property. We don't just show property. That's a real point of difference that we have. Yeah. That's huge. I want to ask a question just back. We, we, I heard you mention it, but I want to just talk about it a little bit more when you said that sometimes you have to test the market. So one of the things when we're in a lower price point is that you take every listing. So I know that, or I'm going to say this, I'm going to assume that sometimes taking the listing in luxury is not a $10,000 difference <laughs> when you're only, you know, your price $10,000 or $20,000 too high. So when you have a seller that is unrealistic with their price, how do oh, that you... never happens. <laughs> I'm sure. How do you handle that scenario? Number one, I'm happy to take an overpriced listing if the motivation is there. So a lot of times we're dealing with several siblings or heirs, like three to four or five heirs sometimes. And typically one or two of them just doesn't get it. And so it's like a fine wine. The listing has to come into its own. And so, but if the motivation is there, we'll do it. Because quite frankly, you can list a home at the right price in any price range. If the motivation's not there and you bring a full price offer and they just say, mm, yep. that, that happens. So really it comes down to what's their motivation. I have a great, well, I'm sure you know this question too. The, one, the number one question to test motivation of the seller is, what are you going to do when the property sells? Mm -hmm. And if they cannot answer that question, that's a sign of low motivation. I know though, when there's three to five heirs or two to five heirs to a property, the motivation is the fact that, you know, they can't afford the 50, 60, $75,000 a year in property taxes we have here for a vacation home and they need to get it gone. So, so, so when you all, so when you take that, um, how do you test the market? with them or do you use that tactic with them of testing the market? Okay, so you wanna list it a million dollars higher than what your price right. per square footage and condition and everything calls for. How are you testing the market with them with that? Or is that something that you do? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, as part of our, as part of our listing presentation, we tell them we are gonna test the market. And today we can test the market like we never could before. Number one, we look at the web stats. My experience tells me that for every 1,000 views online, combined views, 1,000, I should have one person physically through the door. So we tell them that on when we're signing the listing agreement. If we see Realtor.com, Trulia, add them all together. If we have 5,000 views in the month of February, we should have five people through the door. If we don't have that, that is the market rejecting our value proposition. So we want them ready for that. We also, and I, we all, you know, we all have our feelings about Zillow, but the one thing we use, but we use Zillow and we, I have fortune 500 CEOs who are looking at Zillow it makes me crazy. But what we really look for on Zillow is how many people saved it to their shopping cart. So when I see a home for $4 million, it really should be $3 million. Sometimes I'll see 47 saves. That's a lot of saves. And I'll explain to the seller, why do you think people save a listen to their, to their shopping cart? Well, yeah, they want to know if something changes. What could possibly change? Hmm. Not going to be the view, 
so I can be the acreage, so I can be the condition, the square footage, I'll bet it's the price. They're waiting for something. That's 47 people telling us that they're not going to come and see it because they don't think it's in the, in the zone yet, pricing zone. So we use the we use stats from the web. It's very critically important to explain that to a seller when you sign in the contract, because if you bring it up 30, 60, 90 days into the listing, they think you're making up rules of the game as the game progresses. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. yeah I do too. That'll uh, work for any price so, Jack, we're again, running out of time. Uh, we've we've got like a million dollars regardless of the price point. Say that again. This all works in every price point. We treat everyone like a million bucks, regardless of their price point. Absolutely. Okay, so Jack, uh, let's. Uh, we're in our last couple of minutes here. What I what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of just get your final thoughts. What's your final advice? Uh, and then Sheree, of course, I'd like to hear your final thoughts on uh, your biggest takeaways. But Jack, what's your what's your final advice to our listeners and watchers and viewers that uh, that you think can help them with luxury real estate? Sure thing. You know, um, in my market, I'm sure across the country and around the world, there are better marketers than me, there are better prospectors than me, there are better negotiators than me. But there's one thing that drove our company to the point where another company wanted to buy it and accounted for our success in the marketplace. And that was a question. It was a question we asked ourselves 10, 20 times per day. Because in real estate, in luxury real estate in particular, there are forks in the road. Oh, should I do this or should I do that? But we have this one question and we found that when we asked this question, that we answered the question, we could answer any other question. And that question is, what is in the best interest of the client? And we found that when we ask that question, it answers any other question anyone else could ever come up with. And we could answer that question better than anyone else in our marketplace. And it accounted for where we may not be as good, maybe sometimes we're not as good a marketer or not as good a negotiator, whatever. We are the best at answering that question, what is in the best interest of our client? And that will drive you in any price point, but especially in the high end where integrity is part of the definition of luxury. Love it. Awesome. Okay. And Sheree, final thoughts? Well, one of the biggest things that, that, I'm, that I'm taking away is that luxury, with the exception of the second and third generation, but luxury, <laughs> a lot of luxury listings is a lot of, it's, it's, it's solely that it's a higher price point. If you're treating everyone the same, just as you said, if you're treating the person that you're selling at $100,000, um, the same as the one that you would sell at $2 million, the same, then and you're doing the same exact steps when you're going through that process, then luxury listing is not going to be very different for you. You just have to take that opportunity when it presents itself. So when it presents you itself- You are stepping things up. You're doing different, a different level of brochure. You're doing a different level of you know, internet marketing. You're doing a different level of demonstrating the property. But you're right. It's, the principles are the same. The principles is what I'm speaking of. So those Absolutely. things are there. Um, and getting in the door the one biggest takeaway that I've gotten from this is get to know those gatekeepers, mm -hmm. understand who Absolutely. the gatekeepers are. They're your ticket. They are, they your, are your ticket, ticket to the high end. end. Mm -hmm. They are yeah. your ticket in. And it makes me think of a lot of people that I know that are in luxury and how they got into luxury was through gatekeepers. Absolutely. Love it. Thank you very much for that. Sheree, I love that. Those are great takeaways. My biggest takeaway from today, and thank you, Jack, for reminding us of this, is the importance of really uh, of 
of developing the experience, helping them really be a part of the lifestyle of that property as you're showing buyers the property, et cetera. And I'll give you an example, and this is uh, a, a, an example from a long, long time ago, a guy named Froy Candelero uh, was out and uh, he, was, he was going to a listing appointment. He was trying to get these, you know, trying to get into this appointment. They were, ha they were struggling to get the appointment set with the couple, but he knew that they were home for some reason. And so he, he said, look, you know, if, if I can't set the appointment, I'm just going to go in big. So he literally rents a helicopter, flies over, and he's literally hovering over their house in a helicopter. And he says, hey, can I land in your backyard? And they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, look up. I'm in the helicopter. I'm here for the listing appointment. I want to come take a look at your house. Can I, can I land in your backyard? And, of course, they said yes. He goes in, he gets the listing, the rest is history. Uh, but really lifestyle, you know, with your, you know, driving the golf cart down to the property, putting them in the boat, all that kind of stuff, really getting them into that lifestyle and helping them feel the excitement of that lifestyle is very, very important and can really set you apart. So thank you very, very much for that. Uh, and Jack, finally, you have a book out. Tell us uh, the title of your book so we can look it up on Amazon and we'll certainly put a link uh, to sure. your book. Amazon.com or jackhotton.com selling luxury homes. Selling luxury homes. All right, great. And I would assume that uh, that to get a hold of you, people just go to jackhotton.com. They can find you there. Yeah, jack at jackhotton.com or jackhottonrealtor.com. So yeah, you have referrals. You have people coming to Cape Cod. Send them here. I love it. Fantastic. Well, Jack, thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, we've got a run. We've got a coach's call coming up next, but I uh, really appreciate you being with us today and sharing uh, your, your depth of knowledge with us. Uh, everybody watching, thank you very, very much for watching and or listening to the podcast. We do this because of you guys. You make this possible. So thank you very much. And uh, for those of you that enjoy this on the podcast, make sure you subscribe uh, to the podcast and tell others that you know to subscribe to the podcast as well. Maybe share the link with them. Uh, we would really appreciate it means a lot to us here at Club Wealth. And uh, if you haven't already done so, reach out to Club Wealth. We'll uh, you know, do one of those annual uh, strategy sessions for you. We'd love to spend 55 minutes on the phone, uh, one of our coaches with you, going through your business and really helping dial in what is going to get you to that next level in your next 12 months. Have an awesome day, everybody. And remember, inside each one of you is a world-class beast just dying to get out. So choose to unleash that beast today. Take care, everybody. Bye.